Over the past few weeks, we've looked at how our God calls us to the promise of goodness in our community, which includes practicing compassion and then putting people first. This morning, we're looking at how the people of God commit to seeking and embodying the truth we know in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, This chapter in their book looks at how believers must stand in the truth no matter the cost. In the Gospels this morning, Jesus warns believers about the cost of not standing with him in the truth. Our scripture this morning is from uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And we read, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Toddlers are rarely stationary. If they're going to play with toys and read books and laugh with siblings and continually test boundaries, time is of the essence. With such full schedules, they seldom stay in the same place for long. Our littlest, who's a little boy, seems to be the most active of all our kids, which does not quite seem fair. The last one, when we're very tired already. But... (laughs) But really, all our kids wander usually when most inconvenient, like when we're trying to get out the door. No matter where we are going, our kids tend to scatter around the house like leaves caught in the wind. One begs for milk, which we've already put away. The youngest one, who is very good at finding things on the floor nobody else can see, eats Cheerios that he found under the couch. Um, When we confiscate the rogue snack, his sister magically takes off her socks, which is genuinely magical because her shoes are still on. We don't know how that happens. With everybody in the car, the child who first got buckled, who was actually doing what she was supposed to be doing, announces that she has to use the potty and knows she can't wait, even though we haven't left the garage. (laughs) Restless children drift through the day like otters playing in an ocean current. They are always active. They are never still. Simply put, children do not know how to abide. They don't know how to abide, to stay still. But to be honest, maybe we don't know either. Now, we don't use this much, uh, this word much in a modern conversation, but we read here uh, about abide, how it means to remain or stay in one place for a prolonged 
amount of time. It almost means that you root yourself to one particular spot. Speaking to his disciples on the eve of his betrayal, Jesus uses the word abide 10 times in these 11 verses to describe the nature of his relationship with his children. Now, at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has clearly been identified as the promised Messiah, the one who would restore God's relationship with his rebellious people. Even in their own limited understanding, the disciples had kind of gotten to the point that they understood Jesus offered something more than the teaching of a regular rabbi. Jesus was not just a prophet at this point. He was probably the Christ, the physical embodiment of Yahweh, the Lord, who brought order from chaos at creation, who led the Israelites through the Old Testament and is now moving in our world to establish his kingdom. So when Jesus reveals how we might access true and abundant life using just one verb and emphasizes that verb again and again and again, it means that we should probably pay attention. Jesus commands his disciples and us to abide in him So that we might eternally be joined to abundant life, come to bear spiritual fruit and experience everlasting joy. In the Greek, abide was often used to describe a specific location. In John 1, the disciples used this word when they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Basically, where are you, you know, where are you, where are you living? Where's your home? Where are you abiding? They wanted to know where Jesus made his residence, where he called home. So if we are to be his disciples, our first responsibility must be to abide, to remain, to stay in Jesus. The consequences of obeying this command are fairly clear. Jesus compares himself to a vine and explains that branches connected to him will find life, while those that don't will wither and die. Unending love, unfailing hope, everlasting joy are just a few perks of the, of the, uh, we experience when we abide in Jesus. Standing in his presence, we are like a tree planted by a river of eternal life, experiencing an endless summer of blessing and support and love. But if we cannot abide in Jesus, we encounter spiritual darkness a growing blindness to God's activity, deeper confusion about life in this broken world, and eventually eternal separation from God's presence. Jesus contrasts these two options clearly. Branches that do not abide will be gathered, and they will wither and be thrown into a fire. For us, the choice seems pretty simple. Do you want to abide in Jesus and have life, or do you not want to abide in Jesus and die. Everybody would say we would like to abide in Jesus and live. But on a both a spiritual and a practical level, most of us still haven't learned how to abide in Jesus. Despite clear directions, we are like hyperactive children walking or running away from the presence of God. Like the hymn sings, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Sin makes us restless, and our wandering hearts make us fatefully forgetful of the truth. 
fatally forgetful of the truth. Any place we abide away from God is, to be blunt, toxic. The moment we turn from God and break that connection, however, we start to immediately forget this reality. Instead of listening to a loving God, we believe our lives will somehow flourish outside his promise. And our world, as you all know, is all too ready to lead us further from the God who desires our redemption. We are like sheep looking for that next bit of grass. We stumble forward searching for anything that might offer fleeting moments of comfort and joy. Some people in our cultures chase the idea of success, even when it's vaguely defined. Some chase comfort, but find their souls are never quite at ease. Others place their hope in crafting the perfect image, believing a a socially approved snapshot of their lives will, will cover their unhappiness and satisfy their emptiness. Rather than remaining in a relationship with our God, we try one thing after another, hoping that finally this thing, this dream, this level of achievement, whatever it is in our head that we've put there, will give us what we can only find in Jesus. Even worse, we sometimes hold so tightly to the gifts that God has given us, we ignore the giver himself. We love our families. But if we make them the goal, we create just another idol that leads us away from God. Doing good work and helping those in need, those are both vital aspects of the Christian faith. But on their own, they cannot give us what we need because we cannot earn God's love. Even right belief, knowing the right answers, lets us down if what we know never filters down into how we act or treat other people. Blinded by sin, running from one that we are withering, we fail to recognize. We wither from the inside out, running from the one thing that would restore the life that we so desperately seek. Sin blinds us, preventing us from abiding in the way and the truth and the life. But all of Scripture points to the promise of God's redemption, how he promises He will one day join himself to us so we might abide in him forever. He knows the peril of our situation. And he knows how we wander. And so he doesn't wait for us to make our home in him by our own efforts. Or even meet us halfway asking us to cover the difference. In the sacrifice of Jesus, our God pays an infinite price so he might make his home in the hearts of sinners like you and me. Let me say that another way. Jesus knows how hard it is for us to abide in him. So he comes to abide in us. The cross removes everything that separates his children from knowing and abiding in him. In this light, the command of Jesus to abide in him is actually not an impossible task, but a fundamental reminder of what Christ has already done for us on the cross. Charles uh, Spurgeon uh, sort of drills it down this way. He says, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. Jesus comes to abide in us so we might be free to abide in him. 
The love of Jesus unleashed, uh, the, the love Jesus unleashes will not stop until we are made into a new creation, the kind of people that choose to abide in the gracious love of God. Now, this promise of Christ coming to abide in us has three effects in our lives. The first is that abiding in Jesus clarifies reality. When we abide in Jesus, we find salvation, yes. But we also find an entirely new perspective of this world and life. Like Jacob receiving a vision of God moving between heaven and earth, or Elisha opening the eyes of a frightened servant to witness the armies of, the armies of angels protecting all who walk with God. Spending time with Jesus slowly but surely awakens our hearts to the truth about this world and about ourselves. C.S. Lewis says it like this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it to be true, but because by it, I see everything else in the right way. In the light of his mercy and grace, we find not only personal revelation about our own sins, about how far we have walked and wandered away from God, but insight into reality itself and our place in it. In Jesus, we learn not only why this world operates in such brokenness, but also how we are called to play a part in its restoration. Second, abiding in Jesus, the embodiment of truth compels us to resist all that is false. Once Jesus gives us a clear picture of reality, standing against lies that we encounter in the world or even in ourselves becomes second nature. German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a martyr murdered by the Nazi government for conspiring to kill Hitler, describes our choice to follow Jesus like this. Your yes to God requires your no to all injustice, to all evil, to all lies, to all oppression and violation of the weak and poor, to all ungodliness, to all, and to all mockery of what is holy and true. The lies that we encounter about life itself, lies about what gives humanity meaning and purpose, lies about what gives humanity real happiness, All of them can be confronted in Jesus, and all of them can be set aside when we abide in him. Best of all, we can be honest, too, about our own failures and inadequacies, because we know that we have a gracious God who equally forgives our sins and is always working to make us better than we were before. Finally, we are transformed to bear the fruit of his spirit. When the Lord abides with his people, they cannot help but be transformed. As Jesus abides in us, we grow in ways that could never have occurred on our own. Our desires are rearranged. Our fondness for sinning starts to to die. And a passion to be more like him grows in ways we can never anticipate. When Jesus abides in us, we start to act and speak and behave differently, willingly choosing the ways of Jesus over the ways of the world. Over time, we forsake our wanderings, 
Connected to Jesus, we discovered the truth about who we really are. A beloved child of God chosen for salvation and cultivated for eternity. As his life flows through us, we become a living branch designed to hear, uh, to bear fruit and give God glory. And branches must bear fruit. Our connection to God has a direct effect uh, amongst uh, everyone else in our lives. Our salvation works itself out in our daily lives amongst other people. John uh, chapters 15 through 17 mark a turning point in the gospel of John. Speaking to his disciples before his betrayal and arrest, Jesus wants them to understand his death and resurrection will change the nature of God's relationship with his people. And Jesus knew If they could remember he had made a home in their hearts, they would have an anchor. They would have a rock, a sanctuary to withstand anything the world could throw at them, including death itself. And the world actually did throw death at every one of the disciples, except for John, who died in exile on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Every one of the disciples was martyred, was killed. As they started the church, Jesus knew that they needed to remember everything they did. Christ did with them. In every new endeavor, every testimony given, every sermon preached, every small action of love and mercy, every miracle, every missionary journey, Christ went with them because he remained in their hearts. In fact, he went before them, preparing the way, providing them the very words they needed to point to the power of his presence in their lives and the world. But they would only succeed in the early church if they could remember that Christ had come to abide in them first. If they held on to that one truth, nothing would be able to shake their faith ever again. Uh, John Owen, who was a Puritan uh, pastor, wrote, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. Jesus didn't want the disciples then, and he doesn't want us today to be unacquainted with the power of his death and resurrection and the blessings of abiding in his presence. When Christ abides in his children, they understand that no matter what happens, they are securely established in a world shaken by sin. With Christ in, our heart, in their hearts, the disciples discovered they could endure every degree of suffering, but also push back against a world threatening to overwhelm them. They were standing on eternal truth. Eternal truth does not change. It does not Alter with the seasons. It remains the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. That is the promise we have when we abide in Jesus. Think of it this way some archaeologists believe the oldest man made structures in England actually aren't Roman roads or even Celtic ruins, but the hedgerows that scatter the countryside. These rows of rocks and flowers and bushes, uh, specifically in Cornwall, are estimated to be older than some of the pyramids, maybe even Stonehenge itself. 
They have survived this long through the rise and fall of empires because they remained rooted in the earth, connected to one another, abiding as time rushed past around them. For centuries, they offered shelter to plants and animals, protection to sheep and cattle, boundaries so human life could flourish. These hedgerows have remained They have stayed, they have abided in one place, and they have prevailed. In the same way, the early disciples anchored their entire lives in Jesus. Rooted in his grace and power, the disciples helped each other withstand persecution and outrage and slander while bearing the fruit of God's new kingdom. When we abide in Jesus, we are free to do the same to order our lives around the truth about ourselves in this world, about how we have sinned, but also have been forgiven, how this creation carries the brokenness of a curse, but will also one day be remade. We are free to remember that despite our wanderings, Jesus came to make us beloved children of God who live in new ways because we are becoming more And more like our Savior. In the end, the command to abide in Jesus is less a bar to reach and more a reminder that Christ came so that he might abide in us. Christ came that he might abide in you. That he might fill you. That he might direct you. That he might remind you that you are his that you belong to him. So never forget, church, that truth himself has come to live in us, that truth himself has come to help us along life's ups and downs. Jesus loves you, and he has died to make it known. So if you feel like you are withering on the vine, struggling to make it through the day, remember, Jesus has come to abide in you so that you might step into the light and abide in him forever. Hallelujah. Amen.